Welcome to Frankly Speaking About Family Medicine, a CME podcast series where each week we translate today's late-breaking clinical research and news into tomorrow's practice. I'm Frank Domino, professor in the Department of Family Medicine and Community Health at the University of Massachusetts Medical School and editor-in-chief of the 5-Minute Clinical Consult series. Be sure to visit primed.com podcast after the discussion for more information about today's article and to claim CME-CE credit. At a staff meeting, your colleague Jill mentioned several of her diabetes patients seem to be struggling more than in the past, struggling with their treatments, diet, exercise, and all of it, especially during the pandemic. Most in the meeting concur with the overall assessment. Jill asks the group, does anyone have any ideas of how we can help our patients? Hi, this is Frank Domino, and joining me today to talk about diabetes and the distress it causes is Dr. Susan Feeney, Director of the Nurse Practitioners Tract at the University of Massachusetts Medical School, Graduate School of Nursing. Good morning, Susan. Good morning, Frank. Um, In addition to pandemic distress, we're all feeling some distress, but our diabetic patients in particular, can you describe what is diabetes distress? Yeah, so it's a specific measurable, quantifiable condition that about a third, about 36% of people who have type 2 diabetes um, actually express having. There are scales that measure this. And it really reflects aversive feelings and negative emotions, specifically about the burden of their self-care. So think about all the things that a diabetic has to do. They have to monitor their glucose. They have to watch what they eat. They have to count carbs, they have to exercise, all the things that, that are good for you, but they have to be aware of it. And it it's this burden of, of self-care. And then there's a feeling of perceived decreased social support that, you know, everyone around them seems to be able to live their life as they wish. Um, and so they it becomes an emotional burden. And then there's also a layer for folks who may have poor access to care or good quality care. And, you know, makes me think about the pandemic, which has really heightened um, the some of the the holes in our in our system and our equity. So um, all of that really translate into into distress. And the distress, according to many studies, seems to affect their feelings of self-efficacy and that their feelings of being able to manage their d- disease well. And so what happens is many of it, many of them avoid self-care as we would all do when we're dealing with something that doesn't feel good, right? And so what does that do? It makes their numbers worse and it hurts and all the terrible sequelae of diabetes becomes more heightened. And and even though it's not really diagnosable as a, di- as a psych diagnosis, it's not an ICD-10 code, there is a correlation with mild to moderate depression as well for these folks who suffer from this. Well, I, I've seen it as well. I've seen it in where people start feeling worse and worse about themselves because right. they're unable to do the things that they think they're supposed to. Um, outside of the typical things we do for our type 2 diabetes, what does the best evidence say we should be considering for patients with diabetes distress? Well, it's, well, it's interesting because as we're talking, because what I'm thinking is what what do people do? Is we they, they, they judge themselves harshly. It's like I... because you know, and, and society does. We have people who will judge people who are overweight, you know, that there's, they're, they're not, they're not being, it's their fault. And so many people feel that same way. So there's been a recent um, meta-analysis, but there's been a lot of work on this. And 
this analysis looked at about 12 studies that looked at specifically psychological interventions. So we, we've got all kinds of information on, you know, medications and weight and exercise and that impact. But our issue is getting people to comply with that and to really buy into it. So these studies looked at, is there a correlation with various psychological interventions that improve somebody's ability to self-care? And, and to does it have an impact on A1C? And even though there was some concern about bias and strength of some of these studies, there was definitely a, a, a correlation between mindfulness, mindfulness activities, and including something called acceptance therapy and improvement of A A1Cs. And the feeling is that it really worked out. It didn't make some magical physiologic change in their glucose. It made them feel, okay, I, I can control this. And I'm going to do, I'm not going to avoid my care. I'm going to in, embrace it, if you will. And it was a very powerful, I found it to be very powerful because we beat, you know, it's that whole, that whole thing. You know, doing the same thing that doesn't work over and over again is the definition of insanity, yet we do it every day in primary care. Here's your diet. Here's your exercise. We focus on the education. And there's a little bit of finger wagging where this was, let's try to figure out why they're not meeting these goals. And it really is this lack of belief in their own or this lack of self-efficacy and that this mindfulness actually seemed to have an improvement. And it gave them power and control over their disease. Well, that's that's wonderful. I, I'm thrilled that there's another thing we can offer patients that both make them feel better and improve some of their their diabetes parameters. What are what are some of these strategies, and how how would we use them? Well, they looked at two two types. That's what the studies seem to be looking at. One was basically fully mindful interventions. I'll talk about what that is in in a second, but. It was, it's cognitive therapy, and it's a basically it's a way to manage your thoughts. So think about how we use cognitive behavior therapy and anxiety, right? It's, it's managing those thoughts instead of letting the thoughts manage you. And then stress reduction through some sort of meditation or stress reduction um, activity. And then acceptance or commitment interventions. And I thought this was really interesting. This is also part of mindfulness, is being aware of your negative thoughts and feelings, saying, okay, I really hate having to check my blood sugar. I, you know, but really thinking about, well, what is it that you don't like about, what are you feeling? Engage in that persistent behavior change and then give them sort of value-directed goals. And it, and what, what the acceptance therapy tells them or helps them understand is that it's more helpful to acknowledge what they're feeling than to avoid it. So some of the things that, that they can do is learning some mindfulness specifically around, you know, mindful eating, mindful exercise, mindful glucose control, believe it or not. Um, and it's really, you know, it, it's not, it's, it's not really motivational interviewing. It's, it's, or, um, it's really, um, trying to have them accept, um, where they're at and understand the feelings and try to do that without judgment. So, also, the thing we have to understand is this is something that needs practice. You know, it's not going to happen with a 10 minute visit in your office, but helping them with um, to maybe access some apps or some literature and some exercises um, may really help them focus on it. So it's really avoiding avoiding the avoidance to try to understand what you're feeling. 
So um, I thought this was really interesting. There was a quote by um, Don Kabat-Zinn that said, you know, if, you know, if the waves are occurring, you know, I, I think I'm misquoting it, but if, if, you know, when there are waves, learn how to surf. In other words, if you're feeling this overwhelming, try to figure out what's going on and, and, and move with it. So there was another quote that I saw in one of the links that we're going to provide from the ADA was, through this motivation, through this, excuse me, um, mindfulness activity, you can really empower your patients and say things like, look, you know, you can, if you become mindful of what you're feeling, you can choose the behavior yourself and not let your emotions choose your behavior. And I think most people can identify with that. Like if you're going to grab, which I think I've done on more occasions than I'd like to uh, admit over the pandemic, a bag of Doritos, you know, stop before you, you know, and, and maybe you eat it, but maybe you think, okay, what am I feeling right now? How does this taste? What does it make me feel? How am I going to feel after I eat this Dorito? And it's, and, and I have found with patients, when you do this, even if they're reluctant and they think it's kind of, you know, fluff, they do feel better. And mindful eating and behavior, I can think of a patient who had, who was coming down, who was really, you know, sort of a, a diabetic in training. And, um, you know, she started using a mindfulness and she came in and said, I am, I am, I am less anxious. I am feeling, and she was, she actually had lost weight just through behavior. So. I, I, I think you're, 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 you're citing really good data. And after you told me about this study, I, I mentioned to a patient this week who was feeling terrible about themselves, you know, what are the things, what really makes you feel badly? And she said, well, I, I just can't stand checking my blood sugar all the time. And she wasn't on short acting insulin. So I said, so please stop. Right. Just let's stop doing it. Uh, I'd much rather you think about things that are going to make you feel better than things that make you feel worse. Uh, Susan, this is a great paper. It's really insightful. As you're, you're absolutely right, we need to change how we help people overcome some of their struggles with type 2 diabetes. And just adding small mindfulness tips makes great sense. We're going to have a, a two links associated with this podcast to recommendations on how patients can incorporate mindfulness into their daily lives. And I encourage us all to be open to trying this because it's really very straightforward and highly beneficial. And it and it's something that you can visit with every every visit and you can give these these tips through your practice website, through various other ways that people can access this and empower themselves. Susan, thanks so much. Thank you. Practice Pointer. Addressing your patient's distress about their diabetes may be the key to improving their glycemic control as well as their self-esteem. Consider using mindfulness strategies. Join us next time when we talk about new guidelines from the American College Physicians on the use of antibiotics in the outpatient setting. Thank you for listening to Frankly Speaking About Family Medicine, brought to you by PrimeMed. To claim credit and receive additional information about the article referenced in today's episode, visit primed.com slash podcast and see you next week.